queres vestir. Good to see more and more people are feeling free to come on in. And uh, we just thank God for the parking lot option and, and the fact that, uh, that we have FM broadcast and, and those that are listening on CD at home or, or online later, uh, we can stay connected as a community of believers. We're not dependent on having to be in person face-to-face, although it's really good to be face-to-face with everybody. So. Real or fake? That is a question we are faced with just about every day. Is it a real Rolex or fake? Is it real fur or faux fur? Or fa fur or whatever that is, fake fur? Are they real Gucci shoes or are they cheap knockoffs? Is it a real Louis Vuitton purse or a fake? We like real. We like real. Fake is deceptive. It's not true. It's a misrepresentation of reality. And we want real. We want real. People want real in relationships. We want real in our, in our families, in our livelihoods. We want real in our character. We like and want real. And we also want real when it comes to our religion or our faith. When someone says they have a belief, we expect them to follow through. We expect real faith. This is especially true of Christians. People may vehemently disagree with our truths or our our faith or practices, but if it is real and it's consistent, they will at least respect us for our insanity. One of the biggest challenges for Christians today is to be authentic or to be real. For hundreds of years, people have used the excuse to reject Christianity with the line that says, the church is full of hypocrites. How many of you have ever heard that before? Church is full of hypocrites. Yeah. They say one thing and they do another thing. Go to church, meet the fakers. The truth is the demands of Christianity are so strenuous, they're so high, that we all have a difficult time measuring up. That's because the Bible sets the bar so high, it's perfection and sinlessness. And so only God or Jesus can reach that bar. To some degree, we are all hypocrites. We're all fakers. But fortunately, our Christian faith is a journey. It's a process of growth. It's moving beyond arrested development towards being more and more like Jesus Christ. And God extends that grace to all of us, fortunately. We're all recipients of that grace. That's why James wrote in the first chapter, verses 2 to 4, he says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete. Mature and complete, not lacking anything. So, This whole thing is a journey. Today we're going to move forward in the book of James as we look at the fakers. In contrasted with the character traits of real Christians. That's what we're hoping to look at today. 
And when we realize that we all struggle in the same areas, we can deal with us fakers who in reality are becoming more and more like Jesus Christ all the time. Today, the fakers. Let's turn to James 1. As we go back into James, we're going to read verses 19 to 27. It's on page 977 in the Bible in the rack in front of you. It'll also be on the PowerPoint behind me. James 1, 19. My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like the man who looks at his face in a mirror and, after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard but doing it, he will be blessed in all that he does. If anyone considers himself religious, yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself, and his religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress, and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Character traits of real Christians. The first character trait is something called real communication, real communication. Verses 19 and 20 talks about being quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. How does James encourage or command us to communicate? All of this has to do with relationships, with relationships. And the first admonition is to listen up. Listen up. Be, be quick to listen. Quick to listen. Now, this, this applies to all relationships, but here it has to do primarily with listening to God. Listening to God. Listening to God's Word, the truth that's revealed in the Bible, in the Word of God. If I asked you, do you want to hear God's voice, or how many of you want to know God's will? How many of you would raise your hand? Do you really want to hear from God, know God's will? Most people would say yes. I really want to hear God's voice. I really want to know God's will. And many people want to hear from God, his will, but are not very quick to hear or willing to hear very clearly the, the revealed will of God. And we're interrupted with a lot of noise, a lot of distractions. Now, if I want to have a, a quiet conversation with Judy, my wife, we have to go to a place where there's a nice corner booth in the coffee shop or restaurant where it's quiet, there's not a lot of visual distractions, a lot of, a lot of noise. So we can actually converse. I can actually hear, and she can hear me. Uninterrupted, unhindered, and no distractions. We have so many voices and conflicting voices that basically drown out or just contradict God's voice and his word. It's God's truth. There was a young couple that came to me one day for counsel. And they were thinking about getting married. And they wanted to know God's will for their marriage. They wanted to hear God's voice. They wanted to know, should we get married or not? That was their question. As the conversation progressed, I learned that they were living together and 
sleeping together. Usually the same thing. So I said to them, I said, you cannot expect to hear clearly from God and his will when you are living in outright disobedience to what he has already said. I said, never seek God's hidden will when living in disobedience to God's revealed will. Let me say that again. Never seek God's hidden will when living in disobedience to God's revealed will. Marriage first, then sexual intimacy. People want intimacy without commitment. It doesn't work that way. It's not how God designed it. God designed it so that we make a lifelong commitment of love. Then we can experience true intimacy. And I said, if you want to hear God's revealed will, you need to listen to his voice already. Listen up. Be quick to listen. Now, this not only applies to listening to God, also to other people. Relationship with other people. How do people know our faith is real when all we do is talk all the time? How do they know our faith is real if all we ever do is talk? Love is expressed in listening. Not everybody's good at listening, okay? But it's expressed in listening. Stephen Covey says it well in Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. He says, seek to understand, then seek to be understood. Listen first. That's why the philosopher Zeno said we have two ears and one mouth that we may hear more and speak less. That was his advice. A student came to Socrates wanting lessons on public speaking. And after some failures, the student had a conference with Socrates, and he said to him, I will continue to teach you, but it's going to cost you twice as much. And the student said, why? Why Why is it going to cost me twice as much? He says, because I have to teach you to do two things. Number one, hold your tongue. And number two, how to use it. Listen up. The first character trait of a real Christian is listen up. Be quick to listen. Listen to God. Listen to one another. Secondly, letter B, shut up. Be slow to speak. Now, I know my parents told me never use that phrase, shut up. But it fit my outline so good. So I just said, let's put it in there. Slow to speak. Proverbs 10:19 says when words are many sin is not absent but he who holds his tongue is wise. Proverbs 7, 20, 17, 27, 28 in the New Living says a truly wise person uses few words a person with understanding is even tempered. Even fools are thought to be wise when they keep silent. When they keep their mouth shut they seem intelligent. That's hard to do, I know. Proverbs 13:3 says he who guards his lips Guards his life, but he who speaks rashly will come to ruin. Now, ruin. Now, we'll talk more about the tongue and speech when we get to chapter 3. But when it comes to this, the question is, do our words contradict what our life is saying? Do our words contradict what our life is saying? Say one thing and do another thing. Or are our words and actions the same? We have the, we have the phrase or the word integrity. Integrity means to integrate words and actions. Integrous means they're the same. So our words are the same as our actions. Are they real or are they fake? So listen up, shut up, and let her see, put up. <laughs> put up. Slow to become angry. Slow to become angry. Now, most of us fit into one of two categories. And I'll look at the extremes here. Either long fuse or short fuse. Long fuse or short fuse. 
How many of you tend to have a short fuse to get angry real quickly? React, okay. How many of you have a really long fuse? It takes a long time to get angry. Okay, now I'll ask the spouse. Um, no. <laughs> we have this spectrum, a long fuse and, and short fuse. And I know the rest of you are probably perfect, so that's okay. Now, I've shared with you before that I, I used to think I had a lot of self-control until my kids started playing sports. And we'd, I'd see, so that player knocked my kid down. Ref, you missed that call. Or, it's unfair. It's unfair. We want justice for our children. And I've seen some very mild-mannered, professional Christian people totally lose it at their children's athletic competition or their grandchildren's athletic competition. <laughs> it happens. And, of course, one of the most valuable lessons kids learn through sports is that life is not always fair. Not everybody wins. Not everybody gets a trophy. Okay? You win, you lose. It's just, that's life. Adults need to learn that, too. That's true. And then let it happen. When it comes to anger, um, none of us will admit it, but all of us deal with it. All of us deal with it. And verse 20 says, man's anger does not bring about the righteous life God desires, or the righteousness of God. I know that. We all know that. Anger is something we all deal with on a continual basis. We're, we're good at hiding it, some better than others. I want to be real. Don't get angry. Is that hard? Yes. Does it take a lifetime? Yes, a lifetime. It takes a lifetime. And what angers me won't anger you. And what angers you won't anger her. Anger seems to be unique to each of us, but we all deal with anger. And anger does not do God's will. Now, let me just say, this is a process. It's, it's, it takes time. Self-control. And anger here is more, it goes deeper. This word anger is, is deeper than just a reaction to a traffic accident or a bad, bad call on the court. The word anger implies selfish, malicious, or vindictive personal feelings, which says, I'm going to get him back, or he will pay for that. And so when we get anger, angry and we hold on to it, nurse it, rehearse it, think about it, wake up in the middle of the night, we're angry, that's the kind of anger we're talking about here. And James is addressing people who had experienced trials. They had experienced tough times. They had experienced severe injustice, persecution. How do we respond to injustice? <clears throat> to injustice, do we forgive? People are watching to see if we're real or we're fake. They're watching us. Do I live consistent with my faith? That's a question. Am I, is there integrity? Is there consistency between what I profess and how I live? And as you know, people today are just plain angry. The politics, the pandemic, the cancel culture, injustice, lawsuits are a way of life, national obsession. And anger, the failure to forgive, uh, expressed in many ways, hostility, aggression, repression, depression, sickness, even mental illness. Anger is expressed in a lot of different ways. And it's important that we understand how it affects each of us. How does it affect me? 
Proverbs 16.32 says, Better is a patient man than a warrior, a man who controls his temper, than one who takes a city. Ecclesiastes 7.9 says, Do not be quickly provoked in your spirit, for anger resides in the lap of fools. <laughs> and you know what? God will continue to push our buttons to show us how much we need him. It happens. For self-control. So that we can learn how to put up. Be slow to anger. Now, there is such a thing as righteous anger. and We'll talk about that another time. So, what does James say? James says, listen up, be quick to listen. Shut up, be slow to speak, and put up, be slow to become angry. And we all need the, God's help and his power and strength of the Holy Spirit in order to grow in these areas. God's strength. Now, secondly, in our journey from fake to real, around this journey, is real transformation. Real transformation. Verse 21 says, therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. This has to do with life change. And if, if we're honest, we would all say we need change. We need life change. And personally, God uses different instruments to demonstrate us, to us that we don't have it all together. We don't have it all together. We need to change. Now, there are three actions he talks about that we need to take. The first one is reject or, or get rid of. And the word picture here is to strip off. It's like taking off dirty clothes. Now, if you work a desk job and, and uh, never get dirty, you need to go out and do the lawn. You need to go out and dig, dig some dirt. You need to do something. And come in out of the, out of the dirt and you, your, your clothes are dirty and muddy and whatever. And you have to actually strip them off before you can get clean. And that's the word picture here. It's like when it says reject or get rid of. It's like taking off or stripping us of dirty, wet, slimy clothes. And, and James uses two terms to describe what we need to get rid of. First one is moral filth. This can be hidden inside of all of us. James says, you, you strip it off. It's action we take. There are actions we take. How do we do that? The best, obviously, not let it come in in the first place, but how do we, get, how do we strip off that stuff? We, we've talked about something called spiritual breathing. When, when we discover that we have this, this filth inside of us or evil inside us, whatever it is, um, we confess it. Confession is breathing out and saying to God, I confess I have sinned. I've done this. I'm wrestling with this. I'm wrestling with that. I want to I get rid of it. So we strip it off. It's an action we take. We confess it. And then that's breathing out. And then we breathe in and appropriate the forgiveness. Breathe out, breathe in. So we confess it. And if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we breathe out, spiritual breathing, appropriate the forgiveness. But it's forgiveness asked for by you. Get rid of it. That's moral filth. The second one is evil. Is evil. Evil is so prevalent. And again, evil is a process, layer after layer, slowly getting rid of the old, putting on the new. Moving from fake to real. This is this process that takes a lifetime. And if you haven't arrived yet, welcome. We're all, we're all in that process here. We don't arrive. It's called sanctification. The Wesleyans use something called, a term called entire sanctification, which means 
You're entirely perfect like Jesus, and that happens when we go to heaven, just so you know. I haven't met any perfect people yet. So this is a process, and James addresses this to some really good people. They weren't perfect either. It's a process. So reject or get rid of. That's the first part. The next part of real transformation is accept the word of God. Accept the word of God. People will say to me from time to time, I don't have the power to change my life. I can't seem to strip away the evil. And I say, you can't. You can't. But God can by the power of his word. Now, God created the universe. How? How did God create the universe? He spoke. He spoke. All the power in the universe is behind God's word. He spoke. He created the universe by his word. God's word is powerful. In Hebrews 4.12 it says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword that penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow, it judges the thoughts and intentions of the heart. This is God's word, the Bible. And it will transform your life if you let it. But you have to accept it, believe it, and, and actually plant it. Now, how does that work? How does it work? Now, how does, how does the word of God transform us? Um, I don't know. Mark said in chapter 4, 26 to 29, Mark wrote this. He said, Jesus said this. He also said, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground, the word of God. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. Okay? It's kind of like you guys go out and plant, plant seed, and it grows. You, do you know how? I don't know. I watered it. It's, it grew. All by itself, the soil produces grain, first the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts a sickle to it because the harvest has come. God's word is the planted seed. And it says, all by itself. In other words, the word of God has a transformation power in it. The word of God has the transformation power in it. And so when it's planted in our lives, it changes us. It changes us. What do we need to do? We need to read it. We need to accept it. We need to allow it to be planted. The Word of God has to be planted. Now, read God's Word. Study the Bible, whether it's in a connect group, a small group Bible study, sermons on Sunday, daily planting. Daily reading is absolutely critical. A dose of the Bible every day. Do you want to know the fakers? Fakers are people who call themselves Christians and never read the Word of God, never read the Bible. We cannot exist without the seed. We will starve and die. Now, I put something in your program. I just want to, this is not the only way to read the Bible, but it's something I've, I've been doing for over 30 years. Uh, Bible reading plan. And what I encourage you to do is look at this. Now, basically, this plan calls for reading one chapter from each of five sections of Scripture daily and marking it on a three-by-five card. Um, there are five sections of the Bible. There are the history books, which are Genesis to Esther, poetry books, Job to Lamentations, the prophetic books, Isaiah to Malachi, gospel books, Matthew to Acts, epistle books, Romans to Revelation. 
Now, some people say, I can't read five chapters a day. Well, just read a section of each, if you can. Don't get legalistic and say, oh, no, I didn't do that today. But attempt. This gives a healthy diet from the different sections of the Word of God. And I'll tell you, it has been transformative. What it does is it forces you to read Leviticus. Okay? Isaiah. There, there are some books that are kind of heavy. Some of the prophets is kind of like, what? Job is not very fun. Now, you know, so sometimes I like to skip and start Psalms right away. But no, just when you take a little bit of the word every day and just read some of that every day. Now, I put the, the sample, I take a three by five card, turn it on end, and you just put four lines and you have Genesis, Job, and then when you read a, cha- read a chapter, slash it. Okay, I read Genesis 1, put a slash. So when you come back the next day, you go, okay, I read Genesis 1 yesterday. No, it's on 2. So you read 2, put the slash there, and go through that. I challenge you to try this and see how it works. Now, like I said, don't be legalistic because there are days, there, you know, I get to Psalm 119, and I go, I'm not going to read the whole chapter today. I'm going to read, you know. Or you get to a long chapter in some of the prophets, and I'll read part of the chapter. Okay, don't be legalistic. But when you get a little bit of the diet every day, from the Word of God. It plants itself. Now, it's like, how many of you remember what you ate for breakfast yesterday? Okay, how many of you don't remember? How about last Thursday? Anybody remember? Okay, some of you eat the same breakfast every day. That's not fair. Uh, Let's say lunch. How many of you remember? Okay. One, One of the things that people think is that when I read the Word, I have to remember everything I read all day. No. You know what? It's feeding your soul. You may not remember exactly what you ate that morning, but it fed your soul. It's part of, eat, it's part of the process of planting the seed. Okay? And you may not remember everything you read every day, especially if you go through five chapters a day or five sections of the, of the Bible a day. So don't get legalistic and don't be afraid. I didn't, oh, what did I, you know, you can go back and look at it, but, but it's feeding your soul. It's planting the seed. Planting the seed. And when we implant the seed, we change. And we don't know how sometimes. I mean, I can't tell you how it impacted my life. I can say it inspired me. It did something. It fed my soul. It changed me. There is life in the Word of God, but we have to ingest it have to ingest it. Prior to the Reformation, the church kept the Bible out of most people's hands. The the priests in the church at that point in time, it was the Catholic Church, got up and they read in Latin or in Greek or whatever the language was at that time, in Latin, um, and they would um, tell people what to do. And Martin Luther came along and says, the Bible's for everybody. So he translated it into what that point was the most common language, German, and then they started translating and, and printing out the Bibles on the Gutenberg Press. And, and it was amazing what happened. The Reformation came from people, ordinary, uneducated people, reading the Word of God. Transformed the whole world. And James says, accept the word planted in you, which can save you. How is that? Save you. Truth and freedom and blessing. Salvation through the word of God. 1 Peter 1.23 says, for you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. 
John 1, 1 and 14, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That's Jesus. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. The Word of God, the Bible, gives truth, it gives freedom, shows how to live and experience God's blessings, brings us into relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Accept the Word of God. Accept the Word of God. And he talks about reading the Word of God. But he moves to one step further. He says, do the Word of God. 23 to 25. Do not merely listen to the Word and so deceive yourself. Do what it says. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the Word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing what, doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. What does James do? James moves from belong just intellectual learning of the facts to the doing of the facts, doing it. When the word of God permeates or penetrates, is planted, we will do, not just know. We will do, not just know. And that's where we move from fake to real, fake to real. Now, how many of you go, how many of you go camping? I'm not talking about motorhome camping. I'm talking about tent camping. How many of you go tent camping? Okay. How many of you, when you go tent camping, bring a mirror along? Yeah, you can point to your wife. Yeah, no, that's okay. How many, okay, nobody brings a mirror along. Why not? Because when you're camping, you may not know or care what your hair looks like, okay? Your beard grows out. You can't see it. You may have food from the previous night's dinner stuck in your teeth. You can't see it. Your electric toothbrush doesn't work. No mirror. And ignorance is bliss, right? Why, why have a mirror? Because a mirror shows my flaws, okay? Mirror shows my flaws. A mirror shows reality. And the word of God is that mirror. It shows us our flaws. And some people don't have that mirror, and they go through life blissfully ignorant, never knowing the truth about themselves. They never know about themselves. Because they don't have that mirror, which is the word of God. And James talks about two types of people. And, and you can kind of compare this. Uh, uh, what's, what, how does a seven-year-old boy use a mirror? Seven-year-old boy. I, yeah, make face. Yeah, make face or whatever. It's, it, it's, it's not serious stuff, okay? How does a 13-year-old girl use a mirror? Oh, it's a little different thing, isn't it? Well, how does a bride getting ready for her wedding use a mirror? Ah, it's a different thing. And who uses a magnifying mirror when we pass 40? <laughs> yeah, I need that light and the mirror. Yeah, okay. Talk about looking into a mirror intensely. James says, many people just give a cursory glance. They're like the seven-year-old. They just kind of go through that. It's like the Sunday morning pass. Boom, and they're gone. It's just a cursory glance into the Word of God. Oh, I, I heard the Word today. 
Never really seeing anything. Fakers look in the mirror and promptly forget. There's no impact, there's no change, there's no transformation. They hear the word, but they don't do the word. Those are, those are fakers. Now the second group, these are the ones who look intently into the mirror. They use the magnifying mirror, the lighted mirror. They look intently, James says, into the perfect law that gives freedom. Ah, look intently into the mirror. And then taking action on what they see is, is doing something. That is real, genuine Christianity. That is real, genuine Christianity. It says he will be blessed in what he does. The blessing comes with doing, not knowing the truth, but acting on the truth. The word, the mirror, shows us what we ought to be. If it's just a glance and run, we're not implanting it and applying it. We don't remember. We're too busy to ingest the word of God. We need to eat it, chew it, swallow it, let it become who you are. You've heard that phrase that says you are what you eat. That's it. You are what you eat. Do you eat the word of God? Do you ingest it? Do you take it in? The word of God ingested, practiced, and worked out will transform our lives. It moves us from fake to real. It's interesting how the Old Testament and New Testament give perspective to this. There's a passage in Jeremiah 31. Well, the Lord God was talking through Jeremiah. He said, this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. In the Old Testament, they had the old covenant. There were rules and regulations they were supposed to abide by. The new covenant, in the New Testament, God took those rules and regulations and inserted them into our nature by the Holy Spirit. So it became part of their, our character. The perfect law, the mirror of the word of God, becomes part of who we are, becomes part of our character, because God writes it on our heart. But we have to ingest it. When God writes the word of God in our heart, it becomes an internal living power, the indwelling word, the living word, Jesus, by his Holy Spirit. And we have real transformation. But we've got to eat. We've got to ingest it. Then we have real demonstration at the very end of this passage. James lists three things that true religion means. First one is letter A, to keep control of our tongue. In other words, do not contradict our actions by our words. Secondly, to look after the needy. Don't contradict our words by our actions. Take care of widows and orphans. Demonstrate that our faith is real. And C, to keep from being polluted by the world. Be holy because God is holy. Real demonstration of authentic Christianity is qualitatively different. It's real. It's real. The fakers. 
That's where all of us start, and we're somewhere between that and perfection someday. And God wants to move us, but as we move, listen to God's word, accept God's word, do God's word, and we will slowly, or an entire lifetime, move from being the fakers to the real. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that James does not mince words, that he tells us what it is, tells us straight up what's going on. And I just pray, God, that we would, we would ingest your word, that we would take it seriously, that we would be real. People are desperately looking for real today. And I just pray, God, that, that we would be that demonstration to people, that they know that our God because he changed our lives. And God, we know that our dependence has to be on you. It's up to you to do that in and through us. You take that word and you grow it. And I just pray, Jesus, this morning that you would challenge us anew in the word of God, in Jesus' name.